Our scripture reading now is John's Gospel, chapter 6, and I'll read down to verse 37. John, chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 37. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. There a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then these men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus, believed, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, because a great wind was blowing. So when they'd rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread, after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. <coughs> And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labour for the food that perishes, but the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Then they said to him, 
What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe in you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it's written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. <coughs> Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. <coughs> but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Father, as we consider the word of God this morning, would indeed crucify our pride. That we may receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6 verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, the Lord Jesus said. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So, sermon this morning based on that verse. But looking at other pertinent verses in John chapter 6 as well. So I'm thinking it would be good to have that chapter in front of you in your Bible. And we'll go through and understand this verse in the light of some of the other things Jesus said in that great discourse. I'm going to start by pointing out quite simply that according to Jesus Christ, people will come to him. People will come to me, he says. People will come to me. <laughs> Some of us have had the experience of people leaving Jesus. And it's a painful and a puzzling experience. The girl who grew up in the church youth group. And she told everybody in the youth meeting, I'll never deny Jesus. I will always follow him. And she was so adamant. But two years later, she's at university. She's with a non-Christian boyfriend and has lost all interest in spiritual things. That experience could be repeated many times, perhaps in your own family, among your own circle of friends. There are people who've left Jesus. And it's puzzling and it's disappointing when that happens. Really, the story of John's Gospel, chapter 6, a story of the crowd, is a story of people leaving Jesus. After he'd fed the multitude on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, on the mountain, in the place where there was much grass and so on, they were great admirers. They were talking about him as being the prophet who was to come into the world, which of course he was. And they decided there and then that they wanted to make him king. They were about to make him king by force, it says in verse 15. They wanted a revolution. 
This is the kind of politician we need, they said. Someone who'll provide bread and fish for us whenever we want. So Jesus disappeared from among them, crossed the lake with the disciples after walking on the water next to the boat, and the crowd found him the next day. And verse 24 shows us their eagerness to seek him. And when they find him to begin with, they speak to him with great respect. What sign will you perform, sir, that we may see it and believe you? Verse 34, give us this bread always. But as the discussion goes on and the Lord Jesus begins to explain himself, as we go through the chapter, the attitude of this great crowd of people begins to change. And things don't seem to go quite so well. And the more he says, the worse things seem to get. So at verse 41, we find they're complaining about him. He said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say he's come down from heaven? They've gone from being receptive and eager and enthusiastic to being puzzled and argumentative. A little bit later on, Jesus talks about eating his flesh and and this provokes them. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 52. By verse 60, they're saying, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? They don't like what they're hearing. If he never said anything, he would have remained at the height of popularity. But the more he explains and teaches, the more they don't like it. Until in the end, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The story is of one of of people leaving Jesus. The more they understand what he's teaching, the less they like it. So if that's been your experience in a youth group that you led or in your family or perhaps in your church, well, it was his experience too. By the way, it doesn't seem that it greatly troubles him, actually. I think it would trouble us, wouldn't it, if our church gradually emptied and people started leaving and going elsewhere or not going anywhere at all. But he just turns to the disciples in verse 67 and says, do you want to go away as well? So whatever those disciples were thinking about it all, he remains calm and sure of himself and sure of what he's doing and what he's saying. And in the middle of it all, he says in our verse 37, people will come to me won't always be a story of people walking away and leaving and abandoning Christ and turning away from the Christian faith they grew up with. People will come to me, he says. And they will come for the right reasons. The second thing to point out, Jesus says that people will come to him for life. People will come to me for life, he says. He points out to this crowd as as they come across the lake and they come into Capernaum and find him again. He points out to them in verse 26 that they're looking for him because they're they're full of the loaves. They're thinking about how helpful he can be to them and how he can provide for them and how he can meet their needs and all the good things he can do for them. But they're not 
seeking life. The life that he's come to give. And he emphasizes this repeatedly in this discussion. That he has come to bring new life. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. A life at peace with God. A life in which your sins are forgiven. A life in which you walk with God and know God. And a life which lasts forever. The phrase everlasting life comes, for example, in verse 27. Food which endures to everlasting life. And again, a little bit later on. He who believes may have everlasting life, verse 40. Verse 47, he who believes in me has everlasting life. A quality of life, yes, in this world, but a life that goes on beyond this, this life here, beyond the grave itself. You will live forever, Jesus says twice. I will raise you up on the last day. Three times that phrase comes, for example, Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. Again, verse 40. Anyone who believes may have everlasting life. I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 27, the same thing is said. And this is so good. I think as Christians we almost take this for granted. Somebody's died and we say, well, they've gone to be with the Lord. And we don't realise what it's like for people who aren't Christians. And if you're not a Christian here today, I hope you feel welcome in this church. And I hope you feel that this message is for you as much as for anybody. Because my observation is that people outside of Christ really don't have any positive thoughts about the future. No thoughts of life beyond death. Nothing to base hope upon. Nothing to say there's a better world beyond this one. Philip Larkin wrote a poem. It's rather a gloomy one, but perhaps I can quote a couple of lines to you. He talks about waking up in the small aisles. And he says, lying awake at 4am in his bed, he says, I see what's always really there. Unsparing death. A whole day nearer now. Making all thoughts impossible, but how and when and where I shall myself die. Arid interrogation, yet the dread of dying and being dead flashes afresh to hold and horrify. So this intelligent man could not escape the thought that he was going to die, and it filled him with fear. <coughs> Jesus Christ says, I've come to bring life. And he means everlasting life, resurrection life, life Beyond the grave. And so the people who come to Jesus rightly come to him for life. Not just for bread or for help with problems or for help with difficulties here and now. But for something much bigger and much better. Eternal life in the presence of God. One of the first people I visited when I was a curate in the Anglican Evangelical Church, was a man called John, who'd been a headmaster of a, a very high-powered private school. But the chairman of governors was on his case, made his life very difficult, hounded him, and in the end, John had a nervous breakdown. And that's when a friend brought him to church, and that's when I met him. By that time, John had been in the psychiatric unit for a number of weeks. He thought he'd be well enough to go home, 
So he was at home for a bit, so I went round and visited him, and we read the Bible together. And it turned out that somebody had given him a Gideon's Bible in this psychiatric unit. One of the nurses, they pointed out the prayer in the back, where you pray to commit your life to Christ, and he prayed that prayer. But something hadn't quite clicked, because he would say to me over and over again, I thought that Jesus would take away all my problems. And he doesn't, does he? As if when he prayed the prayer, the sinner's prayer, the big idea was, well, now I'll be well. My my mental health will be restored. I'll be able to go back to work. And it hadn't happened. It hadn't happened. Had he come to Jesus for the wrong thing? Was he looking for something that Jesus Christ hasn't promised? People will come to me, Jesus says, for life. Those of us who are following Jesus Christ and trusting him today, I hope this is foremost in your thoughts. He's promised me life. Hasn't promised to take all the pain of this world away, all the hurt or disappointment or frustration, but he has promised life. And Jesus Christ says people will come with this in mind. How do you come to Christ then? This won't be a surprise to those of you here who have been Christians for a while. But let me point it out to you. Those of you who might be considering the Christian faith or on the edge of Christian things, what does it mean to come to Christ? So much seems to turn on that. How do you do it? Well, in Jesus' day, it was literally a matter of approaching him and going around with him and following him and listening to him And learning from him and saying, as those disciples have said, I will follow you and I will do what you say. I will serve you. And that's what Peter and James and John and the other early disciples did. They literally came to Christ in that physical sense. Today, now Jesus Christ is in glory, we come to him by faith. Again, this comes many times in this chapter. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. Verse 29. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. See how those two are put in parallel. Come to him, believe in him. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Verse 40. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Verse 47. Faith, trust, confidence. Knowing that he's real. Knowing that he's not just a story in a book. Knowing that he truly lived and died and rose again. Now he's on the throne of heaven. Knowing these things about him, yes, and trusting him personally. Is this why the Lord Jesus talks about bread in this chapter? And talks about eating his flesh and such things. And he talks about people feeding on him. There's a difference, isn't there, between understanding the food on your plate and analysing the food on your plate and being able to discuss the food on your plate and even praise the food on your plate and actually eating the food. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference then, isn't there, between a kind of faith that knows a lot about Jesus and is happy to talk about him and is happy to be found among Christian people and to sing Christian hymns and so on and the kind that actually appropriates him personally and says this is my saviour, this is who I trust in my heart.
People will come to me, says Jesus Christ, by faith. Take him into your heart. Receive him. Feed on him by faith. Believe in him. Well, people will come to me, Jesus says. In spite of many people turning away, people will come to me. People will come to me for life. There are thousands, millions in eternity today because of Jesus Christ. That's our hope as well. That's our focus. People will come to me by faith. Trust him. But why does he think people will come to him then? What makes him so sure about this? Is he optimistic about human nature? Is he saying, well, surely when people see the light in me, they will naturally trust me? This is the old Reformation debate between Erasmus and Martin Luther. Erasmus, the humanist and the scholar, wrote his book, The Freedom of the Will. You can choose, you're completely free. You can choose for Christ or against him. It's completely up to you. You decide which way you turn. Martin Luther answered him, the bondage of the will. Yes, people are free, he said, but they will always choose against Christ. Left to themselves, without any special intervention of God, they will never choose Christ. People will always freely reject him. Which one was right? Which one did Jesus Christ side with? If I can turn the clock back and put it that way. Who did he agree with out of those two? Well, look at verse 65 in our chapter, if you will. No one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my Father. The Father grants. The special intervention of the Father is needed before a person will come to Christ. It's the opposite of our verse. It's the counterpart of our verse, isn't it? Jesus Christ says in our verse, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And here he's saying, nobody else will come to me. Nobody will do it naturally of themselves, of their own heart, of their own inclination. The Father will grant them to me and they'll come to me. And everyone he grants to me will come to me and nobody else in addition. The Father grants. The Father draws. He says a little earlier in the discussion. Again, verse 44. No one can come to me again unless the Father draws him. So we understand here there's a hidden work of God, an enabling work in the human heart in which the Father inclines a person to Christ and leads a person to Christ and brings that person to Christ. That person comes freely. This is the thing that's hard to understand, isn't it? This secret influence, it isn't a a, a dragging or a forcing. It's a, a leading that's imperceptible. So as far as you and I knew in our experience when we became Christians, it was, it, was, it was what we wanted. It was from within us. But it was God's work within us. The next verse, if you've got verse 44 in front of you, look while we're here at the next verse. Verse 45. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is how God does this work. He teaches people. He speaks to them. He instructs them. This is how he draws people to Jesus. This is how he gives believers to his son. People hear him. Now don't get me wrong, we're not talking about mystical 
visions and angels and uh, supernatural voices. We're talking about humans speaking on behalf of God. As people speak, as people preach, as people open the Bible and explain it, God speaks and teaches. And in that way, he draws people to his son. There was a a, a young lad baptised in our old church in Watford last week, and I saw some of the service on the internet, and uh, I listened to his testimony. He gave his testimony before he went into the water. He explained that he'd been brought up in a Christian home, and he'd heard about the things of God many times, many Bible stories and stuff he'd known from a young age. But on a summer camp last summer, it all came together for him. I suddenly realised, he said, how lost I was and how much I needed Jesus in my life. All those things he'd heard, the Lord impressed them on his heart and used all those truths to turn him and bring him to Jesus Christ. The Father will bring people to me, Jesus says, by his own secret influence. Now don't get me wrong, if you're not a Christian, the call is for you to come to Christ. It's your choice, it's your activity, it's your response. But it's the work of God that will create within you that desire, that understanding, that inclination, that sense of need that young Toby had before he was baptised. What can we say to those who are not sure where they stand with Christ? Well, if it's to do with God speaking to people, get into the word of God. Get into the preaching of the Bible. Listen to God in any way you can. Listen to his voice through the preachers who preach his word and call on him to help you respond with all your heart to Christ and come to him. So Jesus Christ says, people will come to me. He's confident of that. Even though many go away. He says, people will come to me for life. He would remind us where our hope is fixed, beyond this world, on that resurrection life that is to come. He says, people will come to me by faith. The kind of faith that personally appropriates Christ in the way that you eat your bread and your toast in the morning. The Father will bring people to me. Mysterious, isn't it? But clear in the teaching of Christ. He was no humanist. He sided with Martin Luther, the bondage of the will, until God sets it free. And now, Jesus says, those who come to me, I will never drive away. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Does the Son accept the Father's gift? wonder how many of you have Christmas presents that you've already moved on in some way, recycled or, or taken to the second hand shop or passed on to someone else. We don't always accept, do we, everything that we're given. Sometimes the Christmas gifts get put at the back of a drawer and forgotten about. Sometimes they get lost or thrown away. What about the ones the Father gives to Jesus? Precious human souls. Men and women he loves. And he says to his son, you care for this one. You save this one. You die for this one. I give them to you. I give you the responsibility of bringing them to eternal life. Does he accept them all? 
He does. Are there any missing? Not one. Do any drop out? Not at all. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And those who come to me, I will by no means cast out. And here again, no slippage, no loss. Nobody fails to make the grade. In other words, any individual who truly comes to Christ will find that he is accepted. Anyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, the Lord Jesus will never reject him, will never send him away, will never say, you're the wrong kind of person, I'm not interested in you, you don't qualify, you've gone too far in sin and guilt, you're not from the right background, you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Anyone who comes to him, he will accept. The one who comes to him, he will never cast out. What a promise. One writer said, in this word of Christ, the gates of hope and grace are flung wide open. Anyone who comes, he accepts. How extraordinary. How wonderful. And the same baptism down in Watford last Sunday, there was a, a, a man aged 90 years old and uh, his wife had been a church girl. She'd been baptized many years before. And he'd been in and around church for many years. And he'd come and gone a little bit. And he'd come if there was something on. or you know, It was one of those kind of people. But eventually, evidently, he came to that point of trusting Christ. Now, would you not think that in that situation, it might be said to him, well, you've had these 90 years. You've, you've messed around. You've dabbled with church stuff. You, you've ummed and ahmed and more or less rejected Christ for that long. Why are you coming now after all these years? But Christ never says such things. Of course not. Anyone who comes to him, he never drives away. So there was Toby being baptised, age 16, and there was Bill, baptised just after, age 90. Because he will not reject those who come to him. And listen, that's true at every stage. He doesn't reject those who first come to him. He doesn't reject them partway through the Christian life when he sees what a mess we're making of things, how much we're messing up the Christian life, how difficult we're finding it, how we're not really trying half the time to follow him and all those compromises and mixed up things that we get into as Christians. He doesn't then turn around and say, well, this isn't working. I'm sorry you're going to have to go. And nor does he say it at the end when we stand in his very presence. Last time I was here, I preached on the parable of the ten virgins. And it's a warning. Many of Jesus' parables are warnings, as you know. So the ten virgins, you remember, they had the, the, the lamps. But five of them hadn't prepared themselves properly, and their lamps went out. So they rushed around trying to sort it out. And when they finally got to the wedding feast, the door was shut. And they thought the bridegroom would certainly let them in. But he didn't open the door to them. They, they banged on the door and they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. They were sure they'd be let in. They were sure there was no problem. But he said from inside, I don't know you. And we understand from that parable that there are many, many people who think they have a claim on eternity and a good expectation of eternal life and a hope of heaven and all the rest of it. And in the end, to their great shock and disappointment, Jesus will say to them, I don't know you. And there was a warning in that parable and I hope in that message as well. But this verse tells us that those who truly come to him 
he will never send away. Not even in the day of judgment. Not even in the day of eternity. Not even when hundreds, thousands perhaps, are sent away disappointed. <coughs> Those who've come to him by faith, he says, I will never drive away. The soul that on Jesus has lent for repose, he'll never, no, never desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavour to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. So it just remains for me then as I bring this to a close. Just to remind you of these five points then from this verse that people will come to Jesus. They'll come to him for life. Is that our hope? Is that our sense in following Jesus Christ that the best is yet to come? It's not about this world. It's about the glories he's stored up for us. People will come to me by faith, Jesus said. And he talked about this in the verses that I've quoted. That need for that personal trust, that heart faith. And then that glimpse there of doctrines of predestination and election. As he said, the Father will bring people to me. And the work of God in a human heart. Making someone receptive to Christ. The need for that work. But the promise that he gives those who come to him. He will never drive away. It's a promise for you at any stage really of your life. As I've mentioned there may be some here outside of Christ. It's encouraging to you isn't it to think if you would come to him then he will receive you. You can come to him bringing all kinds of guilt and sin and failure and compromise and all the rest of it. He will never send you away. It's encouraging to those of us part way through our Christian lives isn't it to think well I I haven't made such a good fist of it really as I thought when I started, when I was baptised. I thought it would be great, I thought it would be wonderful and I would be a fantastic Christian and it hasn't really worked out that way. But he's not going to drive me away, even so. It's encouraging to anybody near the end. You came to Christ. Soon you will see him face to face and he won't drive you away. He'll say, welcome good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master let's bow our heads and pray together Lord as we turn to you in prayer we are amazed at your generosity Amazed to think of Jesus, the Lord, the Lord of glory, the one who could walk on water, the one who could multiply bread and fish, that he came to be our saviour. He came so we could feed on him. He came so that we could believe in him with a living faith and in believing have life. And it's wonderful to think that even our own stubbornness and pride which would hinder us from Christ, has been overcome by your gracious working in the heart. And so we're with one now who will never reject us. And perhaps that's the most wonderful thought that when we stand in his presence, even then, he'll not say, go away, I never knew you, because truly we came to him and trusted him. I thank you, this is then something that he opens to anyone and everyone. 
But the door is open. And Lord, how we pray for those who don't know Christ and long and pray that they might come to him in true repentance and faith. Lord, we ask it in his name. Amen.